Today, we continue our collection on silence. And, and we have seen, as Solomon has said, that there is a time to speak and a time to be silent. And, that, and in relationships, nothing could be truer. But it's very challenging for us, I think, as human beings to try to distinguish when those moments should be. When the moments should be that we should speak up and those moments when we should shut up. And those are tough at times. Sometimes it's obvious, but there, those are the times where I think it's challenging. We're reminded that uh, up to this point of times where we should be silent. We began this collection by the, the silence of obedience, of quieting our own voice, silencing our own inner voice that would resist God in those moments that Moses had and Abraham had and the disciples had and, and people in this room have had those moments where you finally say to God, okay, I quiet my voice, I silence my voice so that yours is predominant. Last week, we looked at the silence of learning, how at times we have to silence our strong and pungent opinions so that God can break through so that we can learn something new. And today we look at the silence that is necessary for healthy relationships with each other. We turn to the book of uh, Dr. James. You've heard of Dr. Phil. This is the book of Dr. James. Anytime you begin to talk about our communication with one another in relationships, we must start here. Many of you know this passage. Some of you may not but James begins to tell us about the importance of the vehicle through which our words travel, and that is our tongue. It begins in the vocal cords and then crosses our tongue, and, he's, and his point here he paints three wonderful pictures of saying it's just a teeny, weeny, weeny little piece of our body, this little tongue we have, and yet the outcome and the results and the impact and the havoc or the blessing can be absolutely huge. We begin in James chapter 3, in verse 3. He begins with a picture of a horse and a little bit, that little piece of metal that's put in a horse's mouth. James says, when we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Just this little piece of metal turns this amazingly strong animal. Then he says another picture in verse 4, or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. In fact, I brought a picture with me this morning of a ship and a rudder. That's the rudder there in the end if you don't know ships. But I, I, I did a little bit of reading about the rudder. The rudder is only 1.5% of the mass of the entire ship. That means that 1.5% of the ship, it, it, it drives 98.5%. Isn't that amazing, that ratio? Just 1.5% is driving and steering 98.5%. James said, that, you see, the tongue is that way. It's just a little small percentage of your body, but it, it has a lot of power. Then he goes on to say, in verse 5, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. 
The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Now, you guys have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. (laughs) Whoa, that's a little heavy right there. A little heavy. Easy there, Dr. James. Verse 7, he says, all kinds of animals and birds and reptiles and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Wowza. What James is saying in a nutshell is this. In relationship. Do not underestimate the power of your words. They require our attention. They require our energy. They require our vigilance. And sometimes they require our silence to know when to talk and when not to talk. And coupled with this massive message from Dr. James about the tongue, is a message from Paul. And he says this charge to us in Romans chapter 14, verse 19. He says, let us make every effort with all of our spiritual, emotional, and intellectual muscles, let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Now there's that word. Edification means life-giving words that build others up. Be careful. Let me tell you what we're not going to talk about today. What this is not when Paul says whatever what leads to peace. Edification is not always an attaboy. Edification is not always, oh, good job. The, sometimes the greatest building up of my life has been a tearing down or a penetrating word. Something of honest, in fact, Paul, honesty. In fact, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter four, he says, speak the truth in love so that you may grow up in all things. So here's what we're not talking about. When Paul says, do everything in your possible, that's possible to, to, to lead to peace. What he is not referring to is the congeniality of cowardice that is often found in the church culture. What he is not saying here is just be nice. Make sure you're being nice. Oh, Bob was not nice today. You got to be nice. Because it's the same Paul who said make every effort to be at peace at one another who drew a line and came toe to toe with Peter and said, wait a minute, you're off track. This is the same Paul that said to John Mark, you're out. I'm not going any further. This is the same Paul who had uh, had some disagreement with Barnabas and others. This is the same Paul that had the courage to stand up against those who were speaking out against Christ. This is not a congenial coward saying to us, be nice. That is not what he is silencing. What he is saying to us today and what we are finding in the Bible is what I would call reckless fussing. Reckless and needless quarreling. About things that don't matter. How often have our emotions, the wind of our emotions, caught us up into arguments and disagreements about things that just don't matter. 
I've known family members. I've had family members that haven't spoken to one another in a long time. And when you trace the origin back to the seed of the beginning of that disagreement, it's absolutely stupid. Have you ever done that? I have. It's, you know, you, you ate one more piece of popcorn than I did in a movie theater, and we haven't talked in five years. I mean, I'm, I'm exaggerating, but sometimes it is that literally that silly. And these are the things that we say that we're addressing today. There are loads and loads of scripture verses in the Bible that talk about our words and when to be silent. I was saying to the earlier service, I, I, I wish, you know, I, I, I like to keep up with technology and with the latest Apple products and everything, all that is, but here's a great product that would, that would be just amazing. Wouldn't it be cool if we could come, if someone would come out with an invention, let's say it's like in the, in the form of a remote control. And when a person is speaking, you could push a button and you could transform their words. Wouldn't that be cool? I mean, I would try it out in my own household with my, my children, you know, and they're like, no, dad, and then you, their mouth would be going like, no, dad, but uh, I would love to, dad. It would just transform the words. Wouldn't it be cool? Or the guy that's work, you know, he's a crank and he comes in. I tell you, this place, I hate it. Their lunchroom is all dark and dingy, and, but you know, he's out the corner of his mouth. But what would happen? I love this place. I love you, Bill. And I'd be like, that's really weird. Bob's, something's happened to Bob. I'm like, I got a secret remote control, you know? I don't know if you guys saw this, uh, this, uh, some people have probably seen it on Facebook, but, uh, bad lip reading with the uh, NFL, you know, seen that 2015 where, you know, how the guys on the side of the uh, sidelines, you know, sometimes they're like ye- yelling stuff and you always wonder what it is. Sometimes you don't have to wonder because, you know, <laughs> they get close up and everything. And they're, they're, they're yelling at each other and, and, but you can't tell and it'd be like, if, if you could just, you know, find out. And so, they someone's taken the clips of this and their mouth moving and they've put in different words. They've tamed it down just a little in some cases. I brought a, I brought some experts excerpts for you to check it out. <laughs> I saw your mole. <laughs> you give me a complex, man. You gotta eat the breakfast. We eat breakfast. I could just throw a rock and then aim it at your neck so you'd get two stitches. <laughs> Better get down, going to dance, good friend. Chicka chick, jabba jabba. All I know is I know this is the bad guy, and I know this is a good one. So what you're saying, if you don't like her, then you buy a girl a second-hand handbag? <laughs> I think my face is happier, Fuzzy. Dude, pick up that penny. Girl, she's so, so pretty. You guys don't have a problem with this? I'm the best driver. I back up all the time. And it takes great effort to not swerve. And oh, no. Let me get my Funyuns ready. No more Funyuns. Come on, bring me that treat. No, Because they no. just make a hump in my tongue. <laughs> Was that a hug in my tongue or something? <laughs> oh, my goodness. So when you think of our words, (laughs) they matter. And the Bible has got a lot to say. I've just brought literally a few of hundreds, of hundreds of places in the scripture where we're told to silence our words. Now we're going to start with the obvious. We're going to start with the the petty disagreements that we get involved with face to face. Watch. 
The Bible says this, Proverbs 17. We've got a lot of scripture today, and I'm just going to move, move fairly quickly. Uh, the, the scripture verses are listed, by the way, on the, the back side of your uh, weekly in case you want to keep up and, and stay ahead. Proverbs 17, 14. Starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. So shh, silence. So drop the matter before a, a dispute breaks out. It's not worth it. Before the thing gets out of hand, before the, the, the dam breaks open and there's this big deal. Shh, silence. God is saying, it's not worth it. Some, some battles, some fights, they're not worth it. So drop the issue. Proverbs seventeen twenty eight. Even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent and discerning if he holds his tongue. Proverbs 21, 23. He who guards his mouth and keeps his tongue and his tongue keeps himself. And there it is from calamity. That's a great word. What the Bible is speaking about is reckless endangerment of a relationship that can turn into calamity over issues that are just not worth it. Honestly, I've seen people fight. I've been in a church, I'm not kidding, where they were standing on the pews around, turning, facing the church, yelling and screaming about things that didn't matter. The, the, the color of the paint on the wall, the kind of carpet that was chosen. You think I'm kidding. I'm heartbreakingly not. This is where God was like, shh, shut up. <laughs> have you ever had God tell you to shut up? I have. <laughs> You think he's starting nice with a shh, but then it turns to the ut up part. It comes after the shh part, you know. And the reason is we're on the same team. I was just reading at this article, and I and I verified it over and over. To say, is this true? And if, and if it was about five stupid battles that were fought in history, I think, man, if history would have taught, been taught like this for me in school, I would not have you know skipped so many classes because I'm like, nah, dude, this this is true history. And I was reading about this one a battle, and it was in 1788 between Austria and Turkey. And they had converged in this location that we now know as Romania. And they were in, a, and they were in this battle. And so on the eve of the big battle where all these troops had assembled, the Austrian army sent out some scouts to kind of check out what was happening with the Turkish army. So the scouts were sent out, and along the way, these this group of scouts, they had found this surplus of schnapps. Now, if you don't know what schnapps are, it's a beverage that you probably shouldn't be drinking. And so, anywho, they began to partake and enjoy the schnapps to the place that they forgot how to get back to their camp. And so... The, the Austrian army, they got worried because they were, the, the scouts were past their curfew. So they sent out a whole gob of other scouts who found the first scouts having a lot of fun on the eve of this big battle. And so they said, well, looks like they're having fun. Could you share the schnapps with us? At which the first scout said, we're not sharing it. Then ensued a quarrel about the schnapps. And then they started Shooting at each other. Now, meanwhile, back at the Austrian camp, they started hearing gunfire. And they were thinking it was their enemies, the Turkish army, but it was actually the scouts, you know, the two groups of scouts shooting at each other. So the Austrian army got really nervous and they started shooting. 
And so these, now the scouts thought they, the, the enemy were shooting. Now everybody is shooting at each other over schnapps. <laughs> On the next morning, the Turkish army began to march toward the battlefield. And they were shocked, no kidding, when they found 10,000 dead Austrian soldiers. The moral of that story, don't drink schnapps and carry a gun. (laughs) The moral is easy. What a reckless loss of people on the same team, the same army, that had a greater enemy. But they began to contend with themselves rather than contend with the true enemy. You see the point. What the scripture is saying is don't underestimate the recklessness of our quarrels because we are not each other's enemies. See, this is far different than taking a friend aside and speaking honestly to them and and, and challenging them at times because there is a greater target and destination of edification. When people take me aside and speak honestly, if their heart is right and they're, they're calibrated to the, to, to the right radio station, they're saying, I gotta tell you something hard and speak honest to you because I want you to eventually be built up. They're not just coming at me because they don't happen to like my shoes or something stupid. It's far difference. Can you see the difference? And for that reason, we are told that on this journey, we're on a mission. You remember the story of Joseph? Joseph in the Old Testament. And his brothers. And it's a perfect picture. We say all the time that the Bible is such a picture book for us. Joseph had these brothers and he was separated because they sold him into slavery. And Joseph is such a picture of Christ. He was sold out by his own by 30 pieces of of coins. Just like Christ was. He was taken into slavery. He was put into a a place that where where he lost everything. and, And basically buried in the earth. Joseph was buried into the prison. And by a power not his own, he was taken out of that of that situation like Christ was taken out of the grave. And Joseph became leader over everything like Christ did. And, and Joseph became had the ability to distribute like Christ did. There's so many similarities in that story. Ultimately, the brothers came together and they saw Christ. And Christ says, I got a mission for you. I want you to go to the Father. Just like Christ tells us, you got a mission to go from, from the time you're born. you got a journey to go to the Father. You're on this mission to heaven. And I'm going to provide you with things as Christ, as Joseph said. I'm going to provide, going to give you provisions to the brother. As Christ gives us provisions. And I believe that when we see the story of Joseph, we hear the words of Christ speaking to us. Because we are on a mission to the Father. Being provided for by Christ. And he says these words in Genesis chapter 45 and verse 24. Joseph, like Christ, speaks to his brothers. Joseph sent his brothers away to his father on a mission. And as they were leaving, he said to them, don't quarrel along the way. There is too much at stake for you to shoot one another. Joseph was serious about getting the job done. It's why in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says, I take your words very, very seriously. 
Jesus said, I tell you every careless word that people speak. Now, careless meaning carelessly reckless and creating quarrels and disagreements. They shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For you by your words, Christ said, you will be acquitted and by your words, you will be condemned. That's pretty heavy. I understand that. We start with the obvious and we're going to go a little bit deeper. It's pretty obvious, I think, to most of us that the Bible is is full of these places where it's hey, easy. Come on, silence your voice. It's not worth the battle. It's not. We're on the same team. I think we get this. But there are other communic- lines of communication that are not direct face to face that that I that God would also say silence that one is gossip. That's an easy, that's another easy one. In other words, talking about others behind their back when they're not present. I'm telling you, being, doing my job and as long as I've done it, now we get to the things that are more subtle, the things that have wrecked so many relationships. And quite honestly, as Christians, we do it very, very well and very subtly. You know how it is. Well, Bob's a jerk, but God loves him. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We kind of slip in that little God loves him. I hate the way I hate the way Bob talks to me, but you know, I'm praying for him. I am praying. He's a good man. He's a good man. You know, it's all good. It's all good. You know, like, here's the problem with gossip. If we get down to the lower layers of it, we're human beings and not computers. Obviously. See, if I enter something into my computer, I can select all and delete. With human beings, it sticks with us. And when somebody tells us about something about somebody else, it goes into our deeper parts and it's hard to just reach down and say, well, I'm just going to take that completely out and I'll never remember it again. We're told this in Proverbs 26, 22. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to a man's inmost parts. And I don't know about you, but when somebody tells me about Bob or whoever and, 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 and it begin, and it goes down to my inmost parts, then I begin to add the seasoning of my own flesh and emotion. Yeah, I never like Bob. You know, I, do. I never noticed that about Bob. And now that you speak that, you know what I'm saying? I'm not sorry. You know how that is? That sprinkling of our own voice and, 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 and now that part is down there and it's so, if there's somehow we could just go, Frick! now it's out of our system, but it doesn't work that way. That's why it's so dangerous and it requires a moment of courage when someone comes to us and says, you know, I got to talk to you about uh, something about Bob and, and it takes a moment of courage for us to say, no, stop, stop. I don't want to hear any more. I got to guard my innermost being because if it gets down in there, dude, I, I can't get it out. I'm human. I don't want to know. In fact, we're told in Proverbs 26, verse 20, without wood, a fire goes out. That's obvious. And without gossip, a quarrel dies down. I used to work for this pastor. His name was Jeff. It was a, it, it was a very, very large church. And, and, uh, you only did this once when you worked on staff staff with Jeff. You, if as a staff member, you'd go in, and now you go in and say, "Hey, you know, Jeff, I, I, I'm working with Dave down the hall there." And and Dave, uh, I tell you, man, you guys are late to work all the time, and we're trying to get this project done, and Dave's dragging his feet, and I don't know, I don't know, and, and he would interrupt you. He said, "Steve, hold on just one second. And he wouldn't say anything else. You know, sure, okay. 
And he picked the phone up and he said, hey, Dave, why don't you come on down to the office? And you could just feel the blood rushing out of your head. Why? I, oh, you thought I was talking about that Dave. <laughs> no, 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 man. Dave's a good guy. I love Dave. I was talking about Dave who lives on a, another planet somewhere out. In... But he had the courage to say, stop putting wood on a reckless fire. Stop it. Gossip and talking about others, even in its most subtle of forms, God would say, because I value relationships and because you're called to make every effort to live in peace and to edify one another, to build one another, you got to stop. Silence that voice of gossip. Now listen, we move to something so subtle right now. Another voice that God would say, you got to, you got to silence this one. And I'm going to guess this affects the vast majority of this room. Are you ready? It's subtle. Here it is. It is the voice that we speak and sometimes a passive aggressive approach, which is incubated in texts and emails. I can craft an email that is a master scabble. I can say it just right. I can use a thesaurus to find out the words I would normally use. Have you ever been there? Someone say yes, please. <laughs> and then you get that little heart elevation. You know how it is? Whether it's on your phone or it's... Send. There he goes. It's kind of a rush. <laughs> then you start checking your inbox every three minutes. You know what I'm saying? You've been there? I just had a rush saying it right now. I almost got a little dizzy right there. Now, sometimes it's not always passive aggressive. Sometimes it's lazy. Instead of picking up the phone and saying some hard things, I'm like, ah, just, I'll, I'll just shoot, I'll shoot him an email and I'll say this, that, and the other. But the problem is, it's a huge problem. Pixels on your phone, on your computer are not human. They often say things and, and convey things that you never meant. Or maybe you really did mean to, but you never had the courage to say it face to face. Or you didn't have the time to say it face to face. Or you wanted to say it just right in an email, but you weren't there to explain or even give the person a, a, a chance to respond. When we first started 360, we were in a school building. And there was a, a guy there, I, I won't say that he was a leader, he was in charge of things. There's a big difference. And we were often the last few that were hanging around the building because we had to put up music equipment and all that stuff. And more than once, I'd say, okay, hey, so-and-so, have, have a good week. We'll, we'll see, you, see, see you next time or see you Wednesday, whatever it is. And by the time I drove home 18 minutes later, in my box, it was inferno email. I just seen him 18 minutes ago. Like, you know, the band was too loud today, and I don't think you're doing anything about it because I think you want this whole train to wreck. I'm like, what? I just saw you. You could have said it to me. And I pick up the phone, like, and, and dial, and then he wouldn't answer. I'm like, see, this is killing each other. Man, I got to tell you, I wish that someone would invent 
that remote control where you could change words coming out of people's mouth. But here's another one I wish we could invent. That after you hit the send button, you could bring it back. You ever been there? I have, man. I, I've crafted some emails that would whoosh, 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 just whack you to death. And then, you know, you, you, you got that moment, you hit it, you, you hit send. <laughs> <laughs> what did I do? Have you ever sent a mean email to the wrong person? I have. <laughs> and they're like, calling me, why are you, I never liked you anyway. I'm like, I never liked you. Oh, you got my email? Oh, it's not supposed to go to you. And then the whole thing is a blaze. Proverbs 10, 18, he who conceals his hatred has lying lips. Sometimes we conceal, we hide behind our screens and our phones. And I'm here to say, let's stop. Let's silence that. God calls us to be face to face 99% of the time. I won't lie and say 100% of the time, but 99% of the time it works out. And a much lower percent. How many people I know who have been offended unnecessarily, recklessly, by having to interpret the emotions behind a text or an email? I go back to a crazy verse in Second John in verse 12. There's only one chapter. He says, I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Isn't that crazy? Even back then. We would write it today. I've got a lot to say to you right now. And man, I'm tempted with everything in my flesh. It goes kind of like that, right? Everything in me wants to. But doggone it. For the sake of the thing that's most important to Christ. Which is each other. I will silence my fingers. I will silence my voice, my texts, my emails. And I will have the courage to pick up a phone and say, Hey, Bob, let's get together like brothers. And let's act as if we're on the same team, man. And not recklessly kill each other. Now, I'm going to go one step further to a voice that I think God says, Now, here's the most dangerous one. Now, you could say, man, I've had some conversations today with God already. I've had some conversations with other people. Do you know who the most dangerous conversation you'll have with today is? Yourself. You know, self-talk is impossible to get away from. But there are those times and moments where we begin to cultivate and amplify those things, whether it's something about work, something about family, it's something about relationships, something about church, it's something about something. And in those moments, usually they, they happen, quite frankly, on my posturepedic, either going to bed or waking up morning. And, and it's, never, it's never really loud. It's just that inner, you know, I'm you know, I'm saying, like, it's kind of crying, like, you know what I'm talking about. You recognize the voice. I usually am never laying in my bed. I tell you another thing that really ticks me. And I, God hears every word, and what happens is it begins to grind in us 
Psalm 4, verse 4. Check this out. Psalm 4, verse 4. In your anger, he's saying it's okay to be angry. It's okay to be upset. We're human beings. In your anger, do not sin. When you are on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. Don't let it grow. Some of the greatest arguments I've had against people have been laying in my bed at four in the morning. How about you? Somebody please say yes. You know how it goes. And you just get so worked up. I've been so worked up against my wife sometimes by the time she gets good morning. Oh, I'll tell you another thing. I'm already on point ten. <laughs> what? Have you ever had a bad dream about somebody and you're angry with them? <laughs> it just happened to me this week. I'm not talking to my wife like the first 30 minutes of the morning. I'm like, yeah, I can't believe you did that in my dreams. Like, what? Are you losing it? Get some coffee, dude. Proverbs 16:32. better a patient man than a warrior. Wow. What a statement. A man who controls his temper than one who takes a city. Proverbs 17:27. a man of knowledge uses words with restraint inside. Way before the words cross the threshold of our lips and our vocal cords resound, it really begins in here, inside. That's where the restraint, after the words leave, after we hit the sin button, it's too late for restraint. After we gossip down in the morsels, the morsels in the inner part of the other, the recipient, too late. We're saying, God is saying, restrain it. While you're on your bed, a man of knowledge uses words with restraint and a man of understanding is even tempered. One more. God asks us to silence our voice and face to face quarrels. God asks us to silence our voice of gossip. God asks us to silence our voice through text and emails and communication that can't be clear. God asks us at times to silence that inner negative voice that can get out of hand. And there's one more place, and it's odd that God would silence us. It's during prayer. It's during prayer. This is where I've heard the most shut-ups from God. I've got my, getting my worship on, getting my praise on. And I'm thinking God's going to say, well done, good and, good and faithful servant. He's, he's like, Shh, shut up, Steve. We got some business to deal with. Dr. James says it well back in chapter 3. With a tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. And with that same tongue, we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. We're talking about, we're talking to God about the people that God made. And it's James saying, that's really weird, man. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. That's why Christ said in Matthew chapter 5, he says that when we're using our words, if we're cursing our brother or talking bad, he says it's equivalent to murder, relational murder. And he says, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, if you're getting your praise on, your worship on, your prayer on, and there you remember that there's something you got in between you and another person, then silence the voice and go take care of business. Would you ever imagine that God would say, I need you to stop worshiping right now. I need you to stop praying right now. Because out of that same mouth of praise, out of that same tongue, I know what you're saying, whether it's in your heart to someone else or to face to face to about somebody else. Take care of that. 
And then this worship will be a lot more freer. You see, it's a silencing of God. Now, each of these five things, I know they're heavy. But let me, let me upswing here for a moment because there's a powerful reason why God would say all these things. Now listen, I want to, to try to transport your mind back to the first page of the Bible. On the first page of the Bible, there's something that's, that a lot of things, by the way, that, that happened that are beyond our imagination. The first thing that we see is ex nihilo. That is the word for out of nothing. We're told that God created this universe, this world, the plants, the trees, the, the, the birds, the bees, the fish, the cattle, everything, human beings, ex nihilo, out of nothing. And it's difficult for us to understand because we've never experienced ex nihilo. We were born into a world that was already in play. So it's difficult for us to imagine the desolation and darkness of ex nihilo. But if you can as much as you can humanly do for a second, transport your, yourself back to that moment of absolute nothingness. And then out of that nothingness, God explodes creation. Scientists are now saying, there's, there's something that happened and it just kicked everything into motion. And I, I don't know what it is. I know who it is. It was God. And all of this came into being through words. Through words. Now see, if I were God, I would have done something like... <sighs> or something, you know? Something that at least looked cool. <sighs> and then there were lighter. Something like... But he used words to bring life to everything. Let there be light. And all of the words of the first two chapters of Genesis are life-giving. Even when Adam was created and Eve subsequently was created, Adam's words were life-giving. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. It was all about life. And Adam was given the task of Naming the living creatures. Can you imagine that task? That must have been like, doing, 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 kangaroo. And this must have been an awesome, it's a fun time. It was all life-giving. And so much of it was by words. I'm going to name the animals. God's going to speak creation. Words were life-giving. And then we hit Genesis chapter 3. And the temptation and darkness and the curse. You know how it came? Through words. Wow. Did God really say that? And then Eve bought into it and Adam subsequently bought into it. And then you know when God showed up on the scene and busted Adam? And you remember his response? He started blaming. These were not words of life. Well, you know, the woman you gave me. Right? That's great. What happened to the bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh? No, she had tire tracks over her face. <laughs> she was right under the bus. Words. Words that didn't give life. So therefore, it makes complete sense in Proverbs 18.21 when we read that the tongue has the power of life and death. 
You see, let me go back to the beginning. Our role is to become more like Christ. That's when Jesus said, the words I speak to you, they are life. And if we are going to become more and more like God, then our job is to choose, to make a choice. I'm going to use words and I'm going to deliver them in a way that brings life, edification, and not death of killing and tearing down. It's so important to realize in Ephesians chapter 429, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only for what is helpful in building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And sometimes those are tough words. Sometimes they're encouraging words. Sometimes they're comforting words. Sometimes they're words to let a person know that they're valued just because they're alive. There have been people that I've gone to in this room, in this very room today, earlier this morning. A young man that was just baptized the last time we were here. And when we met, he said, can my mom come with me? And I said, sure, you can come with it. And I found out that weeks before the baptism, her husband suddenly died of a heart attack. And somebody in this room valued her by the words, I'm glad to see you. I don't know you. We have no idea sometimes of just the little ray of light and power and life that we have by the words that we use. That we may say, oh, let there be light in your life. And like, wow, you have no idea how a person deeply, deeply needed to hear those words. James told us that it is impossible to tame the tongue. So he would say to us two words if you try. Good luck. Good luck. Here's what this message is not about. You try harder to tame that tongue. It can't work. Because we all know that all roads lead back to the heart. To the heart. So we cannot tame the tongue, but we can ask Christ to tame our hearts. This is why Jesus said in Matthew 12, you see, out of the overflow of the heart... The mouth speaks. So we got to go back to the source of where it all begins. He says, let me give you a contrast. The good man brings out good things out of the uh, good stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings up evil things out of the evil stored up in him. So it's not like we guard our tongue. Watch. Don't miss it. This is it. This is a whole deal. We guard our hearts. And if we guard our hearts, our lips and our emails, and our texts, and our conversation, and how we say things, and where we say things, all those will be guarded. That's why in the, in the Psalms, in verse, uh, uh, chapter 39, verse 1, David said, I said, I will guard my ways. I'll guard my ways, my heart, that I may not sin with my tongue. Now, as we close today, I want to share a passage with you that Paul wrote. In, a, in Philippians chapter 4, it was the end of a letter that he wrote while he was in jail. He had been with people, obviously, before he was put in jail. And he worked arm in arm with them for a greater mission. He understood Christ's words. You're on a mission to the Father. I'm going to provide for you, just like we saw in the story of Joseph. I'm going to provide for you. And he's writing that 
one of those personal notes, you know, like at the end of a book that it's so easy to read over. There's some words and names that we don't recognize. And he's addressing two women in the church in the city of Philippi. And their names are Syntyche and Eudia. And in this personal moment, he elevates our thinking to say, oh, this is why this is important. This is why it's important. Watch this. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul, writing from prison, says these words to these ladies. Now I'm going to get personal. He said, I've written to the whole church. Now I'm going to get personal. Let's say Eodia is sitting here and Syntyche is sitting here. Watch how he does this. Brilliant. He says, I plead with you, Eodia. I plead with you. And I plead with you, Syntyche. See, he knows, as we do, that when there's this, that often it only takes one person. He said, I plead with you, and I plead with you. Which one is going to go first? Which one is going to delete the email? Which one is going to talk? Which one is going to silence your voice of God? Which one? Which one? Which one? I plead, he's saying. Listen to his language. I plead with you because there's a bigger mission at stake. I plead with you, Eodia. I plead with you, Syntyche, to agree with each other in the Lord. I'll remind you, Paul, saying we're on the same team. Yes, and now I want others to become involved. I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, to help these women, watch, who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, who are now contending with each other. We're shooting each other, Paul is saying. But we have... A greater cause of the gospel, he's reminding them. It's so high above whatever little thing you're contending with each other. And Paul says, let me take it a step higher. Not only did we, did we contend together, now you're contending with each other. But we contended, at, at you guys, by my side for the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are written in the book of life. We're on the same eternal mission. Don't lose it. Paul says, oh, don't be reckless here. There's too much at stake. Delete that email. There's too much at stake. Don't even drop a little morsel in someone's inmost part about somebody else. There's too much at stake. And we think it's just a little thing. But Paul's saying, oh, no, no, no. It's a big thing. Oh, God, silence our tongue by taming our hearts. Let's pray. Father, you know our reckless ways. You see how quickly, God, the winds of emotions in us as human beings take things To a careless level. You see God. How we can hide. Behind our technology. You see God. At times how we. So subtly and masterfully. Can speak about others. In a a negative light. God you hear every syllable. Of every word of our inner voice. That voice sometimes that's not healthy. There are times that you 
silence us in prayer to go take care of these things. But God, it's all a loss if we're left on our own to tame our tongue. It's too powerful. God, truth be known, we can't even tame our heart. That's why we need the giver of life, the creator of our heart, the creator of our emotions, the creator of our tongue, the creator of our mind, the creator of our memory bank, the creator of who our inmost being is. God, we need you as the creator to tame our heart and continually fill it with life-giving words because out of that overflow, God, we can build someone else up on this team, on our team. As Paul challenged us, God, let us make every effort to be at peace and to edify one another. As Paul challenged us today, God, help us to understand that we are not to contend with one another, but we are con to contend side by side for the cause of the gospel. Because every single one of us, God, sinners who have accepted Christ have our names side by side in the book of life on the same pages with the same spine. Father, we give our hearts, our tongues, our minds, our beings to you today so that like you did at creation, we might speak life into others because you know, God, also, we each desperately need it from each other. We pray these things in the name of Christ, the life giver. Amen. Amen.